Welcome to Series 2 of Finding Home, a podcast series about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. This podcast is presented by the Irish American Archive Society of Cleveland, Ohio. Series 2 features interviews of Clevelanders talking about an array of topics relating to the history of the Irish in our city. Please excuse any variation in audio quality as these interviews have been conducted over the phone and over Zoom. Support for Series 2 of Finding Home comes from the Michael Talty and Helen Talty Charitable Trust. Thanks so much for listening, and please enjoy. Hello, everyone. I'm Margaret Lynch, Executive Director of the Irish American Archives Society, here with the IAAS podcast, Finding Home. And our guest today is Patrick Custy, musician and hurler. And we're going to get into how always involved in those activities and how they're related. But first, welcome to the podcast, Patrick. Thank you for having me, Margaret. This is uh, going to be fun. Looking forward to it. <laughs> right. We've been trying to get you on for a while. So glad to have you here today. So Patrick, even from that brief moment of introduction, I think everybody will be able to tell that you were born in Ireland, not the U.S. Can you tell us where you're from? Well, so that's a long story because uh, my parents met in New York Oh. Uh, and my, my dad immigrated to America first in uh, 1963. My mother came over soon after. Um, they were separate. You know, my dad's from County Clare. My mother is from County Mayo, Castle Bar. So uh, I was actually born in, in New Jersey. So I'm, I'm a, U- a U.S. citizen by birth, but uh, I'm the youngest of three. And my, my brother Tim was born in New York City. And then my my sister Ellen and myself were both born in New Jersey. So but then in 1979, my grandfather passed away in Ireland, and uh, my dad's brother and sister didn't want to be a farmer. Neither one of them wanted the farm, mm-hmm. so uh, they asked my dad to come back. So I grew up on a farm in County Clare. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> a long answer, but that, that's, that's <laughs> history. Um, well, let's uh, acknowledge first, I didn't know that you had secret mayo roots as well. I knew you were from oh, County yeah. Clare, but you keep those mayo roots hidden. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I say, I'm, I, you know, I'm half good. You know, I mean, I, I, my dad and his uh, third cousin, Tony Egan, they, um, my dad and my mom get married. And then my uncle, you know, my uncle Tony, uh, he married my, my mom's sister. So it's oh, funny, okay. I, we have a lot of the Claire Mayo connections in the family. So. Uh-huh, okay. So your dad living in America was willing to take on the farm when his siblings in Ireland were not? Well, so it's kind of interesting. Like my dad, you know, moved to New York, as I said, in 63. He probably was one of the best athletes. Hurling was my dad's life pretty much. Uh-huh. You know, he moved, he moved over here and he played with uh, New York. It would be like the county team. Uh, for for New York, and they played with County Clare in New York, which is the, County Clare is the club team in New York. Uh huh. So he played um, hurling his whole life, you know. Uh-huh. So when my grandfather passed away, uh, my uncle Frank uh, was a teacher, had just you know started his teaching career, you know. Uh-huh. So he didn't want to be a farmer. And then my my aunt had married uh, Kitty Lenan's son, Bob Lenan, and uh, he was working with the Irish Railroad, which is up in Dublin, they didn't want to move back. So oh, okay. they wanted somebody to, to move back and take over the farm and uh, mind uh, my grandmother. So, um, you know, it was a tough choice, I think, at the time for my parents. My mother probably, you know, missed America, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, growing up throughout the country in, in Ireland is, was a very nice upbringing for me as a child anyway. I, you know, I had a lot of space, a lot of time, you know. <laughs> But yeah, so it was a tough choice, but um, he moved back, took over the farm. He, he, you know, he really did very well at farming. You know, it's a small farm. I mean, your average farm in Ireland's around, you know, 50 to 100 acres in that size range, you know. Mm-hmm. We had about between 50 and 70 cattle, depending on the year and the time of the year. So oh. it wasn't like what you consider a big farm. It's, it would be like a, an average small farm. Mm-hmm. We, we raised uh, beef cattle. But you kids had to help with the uh, care of the cattle, I'm sure. Yeah, the cows, yeah, yeah. moving and, uh, them from field to field. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, like, you know, you learn a lot. You know, they say a farmer's work is never done, and that's pretty much true. Like any small business you have yourself, if you're not doing the work. It's not going to get done. Right? Yeah, so, you know, there's always something like, you know, in the, in the spring you would put out the fertilizer. Then you'd, like, grow the grass. You'd cut it in the summer for silage for your cattle so you could feed them in the winter. 
Mm -hmm. I move uh, the cattle from when I grew up, we had, uh, you know, most of our farms all in one area out the country. Uh, it was kind of a lot of the land was boggy. So it was like a reclaimed bog. But mm -hmm. then done a lot of work with bulldozing and stuff and, and you know, draining certain areas to make more land for the cattle to enjoy. But um, he eventually sold part of that to uh, the forestry. And a lot of rural Ireland is getting reforested with uh, carnivorous evergreens. Yeah, it's always uh, strange driving around Ireland because you don't really see too many trees, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, out the country now, what you'll see a lot of, like I said, new forestry developments uh -huh. for the last oh. 20, 30 years. Okay. So it just depends. I mean, either that or, or wind turbines, you get both of them. <laughs> but we had a farm. He, my dad, when he sold that part of the land, he bought a farm about five miles away. So uh, maybe twice or three times a year, we'd go on a cattle drive. You're bringing like the cattle, all the back roads between one farm and the other. Mm -hmm. Head off about five in the morning. It was a, it was fun. Right. As a driver in Ireland, you get used to the idea of driving behind a, a whole bunch of cows and <laughs> moving from field to field. You absolutely do when you're out the country. I mean, I think most people growing up out the country are, you know, they're, they're either farmers themselves or have a connection so unfortunately it's a part of life there you know it's just you so, try to keep them off the main road you know as best you can and uh <laughs> right um so this is outside of ennis right patrick yeah. and where did you go to school about 10 miles outside of ennis okay uh, right on the edge of the burn i, I grew up in dysert okay there's a famous castle there, but right and a church and a high there's a high cross over there somewhere right Pretty historical, St. Tola's Cross, but it, it is really old. We have a like a round tower. You have the whole the whole shebang, right? I mean, a lot of history in the area, you know. I mean, it goes uh, really deep, you know, over there. But I went to school, and my primary school was in Tuna, which is part of Dysert, but it's like a little um, area with a shop and the school and uh, like the community center. And uh, my uncle, Frank, was the headmaster for that school, Frank Custy. So... I grew up, like, you know, until I was 13, going to school there. And then I went to into Ennis, a place called St. Flannan's College, which is kind of like a Catholic high school, something like St. Ignatius, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Right, like, from a sports perspective, all those things. If you think St. Ignatius, it's kind of very similar to St. Flannan's College. Uh-huh. And so you're, you're in an area that has a lot of physical reminders of the past, did you just climb around these things and not really think? Or were you aware of how the historical significance when you were younger? Not every area have, you know, so many historical landmarks. Right. You know, we would have been aware of it. You know, I mean, and it's actually funny because, like, I, I grew up in an area where there was, like, a lot of older bachelors. So about 12 or 13 different bachelors within about three miles of my house. We go to visit them once in a while. So we hear a lot of the history a lot of the folklore about the fairy, mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. I mean, you know, we had, we had some neighbors that, that wouldn't walk down the street. So there was fog across the road. They were uh -huh. like, fairies are out, so you, you can't cross the fog. Okay. I grew up with, like, some folklore and some older history, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, What about traditional activities like music and sports that have become so important in your life? When were you introduced to those? And talk first about music. I, it's kind of a long story. So my uncle Frank was a school teacher, and I kind of told you that. But in his early days, my dad had brought him back a banjo uh -huh. in New York City, brought it back to Ireland, and my uncle Frank learned music. And he kind of grew up with a lot of music in the community. Mm -hmm. So County Clare is known for music. But music had been dying out for years. You know, the older population were passing away and, and some of the traditions weren't being passed on. So my uncle Frank learned music and then like he kind of believed in teaching. So he um, he started like teaching his students. Every student that came through my uncle Frank's uh, school would have to learn an instrument. So an Irish music instrument that learned the national anthem, the old time waltz, the clarinet, and hurling. And so the, there was these were kind of like the fundamentals. Mm hmm. Right. And he wasn't a typical teacher. Nowadays, he wouldn't be let do what he was doing, you know. But, you, you know, you had to learn, like, you got your education as well. You learned your Irish and your English and math and all those things. But he had a major focus on culture. So my Uncle Frank 
would teach Irish music every Friday night, group lessons to people. Not that it's a claim to fame, but when Sharon Shannon and all the Shannon family uh, were kids, they, they learned from my Uncle Frank. Oh, no kidding. So, I mean, Sharon and, and, and all of the gang, I, I, I know a lot of them. I mean, they grew up in my community and we played sports together. So, but uh, the Shannon family initially started playing music with my Uncle Frank. And obviously they, they went on to, but my Uncle Frank always believed teaching the love of Irish music. So that was, uh, so I, I, I had no real options to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to play an instrument. And what, uh, when did you choose which instrument you wanted to play? You know, everyone would start on a penny whistle uh-huh. and learn like 10 tunes or whatever. And then mm-hmm. they would kind of, you know, venture off into like a different instrument. Uh, my grandfather played uh, melodeon and accordion. So that's kind of was picked for me when I was young. So I still play a little bit on, on it, but I'm you know, not super strong on that. But I played the penny whistle all the time. And then uh, when I went to college, I started playing the, the flute. Mm-hmm. So the Irish wooden flute. Uh, but mm-hmm. I started off a penny whistle and accordion. And then, you know, he would have a beginner's class. So the entry level, they would do an hour. Uh, or 40 minutes or whatever, and then there'd be a minor break, and then the second class, and then the third class. Uh, so as, as students progressed, they would move up to the next class, and then you would have what equivalent to like an Irish session mm-hmm. at the end when they go around and everyone started tune. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. but while he was doing that, I was learning like a moral wheel and would teach uh, singing. So I, I kind of learned, I went to her class, which was kind of connected in a different part of the building, you know, but uh, so I, I would do some singing as well. So I kind of was immersed in it growing up, you know. Uh-huh. Right. And did you view it at the time as just something put on you or did you enjoy it? Well, my dad, like, didn't really play any music or my mom. But, uh, you know, my dad could play a few tunes on a banjo. But uh, they, they believed in the music. You know, when we go up to Mayo to visit my grandparents, like, my, you know, my parents would have us singing songs all the way up, you know, as entertainment. And so I was kind of immersed in it. But I, I would say, like, I mean, there were times when I was an early teenager where I, I was big into sports and stuff, and I didn't have the passion for the music. And then I started playing music kind of as a summer job, you know, where we'd play up in Liston Varna, oh. the Royal Spa Hotel, you mm-hmm. know, during the Matchmaker Festival or all summer. I played there four or five times a week uh-huh. in the summer, and uh, it became like a, a way, an income. And then that was fun. And then when I went to college, um, I got a lot of friends through music, so... Like, I'd say it was in college when I really kind of got like, I'm doing it for myself. Mm-hmm. Rather than just part of yeah. what everybody did. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So what about the sports? You've mentioned it a couple of times and you said at the top that your dad was a, a hurler and yeah. really music and dance and sports, Irish traditional music, dance and sports were kind of interrelated part of Irish self-identity and nationhood. So sports were just another aspect of that, I suppose, in, in a way, and what was encouraged as well. Tell us about your involvement in sports. Yeah, so um, it's hard to kind of even, uh, I mean, my dad was so into hurling. I mean, mm-hmm. like he played, you know, three or four times a week, sometimes like in New York with hurling. In 1979, he moved back to Ireland my uncle Frank was big into, into hurling as well. I mean, the Gaelic Games Association or the GAA is nearly ingrained in the Irish culture because back when the GAA was founded, it was founded primarily as a kind of a, you know, a way to kind of gather young men together so they could actually practice and do drills. And ultimately, so, so the Irish GAA is very, very fundamental to the culture. But every, every Catholic parish... Uh, so I grew up like in Dysert, but the parish, the Catholic parish was called the parish of Rouen, R-U-A-N. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, you know, you grew up in an area, you play sports for, for that area. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can go, oh, I want to go play for Carafin or I want to go play in Ennis. You have to play for your local community. So, right. you know, when you play a sport, you're playing kind of for the pride of your, your community. And so, you know, you kind of grow up with that from a young age. Uh, you start off playing with your school. And again, my uncle Frank was big into it. So every everybody that would come through the school would learn sports. So, but my since my dad and my uncle were so into it, like ever since I, you know, can remember, I had a hurling stick in my hand, you know. So mm-hmm. and why why hurling rather than football? It's <laughs> I have a funny theory about that as well. It's not really like a, a thing that really is decided, but like in areas that you have nice limestone land, 
and you have nice quality fields and flat spaces, mm -hmm. a lot of times those areas play hurling, mm -hmm. right? And then uh, as you go to country, like our in County Mayo, you go to the country, you get a lot of rolling hills, some boggy areas. Mm -hmm. It's harder to find a nice flat field. So Gaelic football is, is way more conducive to a, a lower quality field. <laughs> I'm not going to, I know St. Pat's and Charlotte's going to come after me, but um, Gaelic football is played in cold stone, boggier areas and hurling's mm -hmm. played in the, you know, the limestone areas. And that's my own theory, but you know, some counties like Tipperary, where you have a mixture, Clare, you have a mixture. Counties like Mayo, you don't really have a mixture of limestone, cold mm -hmm. stone. So mm -hmm. it's all football. Kerry is mm -hmm. very similar. And then you places like Kilkenny, where it's all good land. That's all they play. Mm -hmm. Cork is a mixture as well. I mean, so any any county that's a mixture of limestone and cold stone land, you get a mixture of hurling and football. Now, I didn't play Gaelic football until I was probably about 16. I oh. played... Um, you know, when I was about 15, I started playing soccer with uh, Curra Finn, which is the next parish over. So if your community doesn't have a Gaelic football team, mm -hmm. you can actually go to another community like in the area and play Gaelic football with them mm -hmm. because your team, your, your parish doesn't have a, a football team. So I started playing soccer with those guys and then uh, I got to know them all and I was decent at soccer. So they asked me to play Gaelic football. So I started playing Gaelic football and uh, I played with them up to like, you know, pretty much Gaelic football up till I came to America in 1998. But so I, I played, you know, I, I played some Gaelic football as well, but primarily it was hurling because that's all my, my area had. I also played handball, which is um, racquetball without mm -hmm. the racket right. you play with, with your hands. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in America might think of an Olympic handball, but it's not. It's um, played in the same court as a racquetball court. But um, I grew up playing that and that was probably my best sport. But uh, it's part of the Gaelic Games. It's it's um, it's one of the three sports that that are covered in that. Mm -hmm. And when you went to school in Ennis, was sports your sort of primary activity more so than music, um, or were they about about equal? Well, I would say when I went to St. Flannan's, hurling and handball were my primary sports, my my primary activities. But I was part of like you know the St. Flannan's Cayley Band. So I played, I played music as well. But again, I was kind of that phase when I was 13 to about 15, you know, where I was kind of like, didn't love the music as much as I loved the sports. But um, the St. Flannans is kind of like, and from a sporting perspective, St. Flannans was one of the top two high schools, or the equivalent to high schools, we call them secondary, but they were in the top two uh, high schools in the country for hurling. Wow. It used to be that, you know, we'd have people that would come and board there. So it was a boarding high school and they had people from, from Cork and Tipperary and every place would come there because it was like one of the top sports uh, schools. So um, there was a major focus on sports, I would say. So I played handball, I played hurling with, uh, with St. Flannan's all the way through. And, uh, and it's actually funny because I grew up playing sports with uh, all the guys um, like Ollie Baker and all the guys that won the 1995 All-Ireland. I played with them all the way up through high school. So I knew all the guys I played, I played with them in the county teams and I played with them in St. Flannan. So it was kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, I was very immersed in sports, I would say. Mm -hmm. So then you're graduating from what we would call high school, you would call secondary school. What next? What happened next for you? Yeah, so um, I, I went to college in Galway. The Irish education system, just a little bit of background, it's very stressful. College is free. At the time, it's, I think there's a minimal cost now, but at the time it was uh, free. You would go through your high school years all, at the time it was five, now, right now they do six years, but um, your whole education comes down to one set of exams. Mm -hmm. There's no GPA, there's nothing. There's one set of exams at the end of your fifth year. And how you do in that determines where you go, what college you get. About a year before that, you have to decide what you want to be when you grow up. Mm -hmm. So you get a list. You Crazy. write down ten. <laughs> yeah, you, you write down ten things in the order you want them. Uh, so I mean, I, I, I suppose was, me. What was your list, Patrick? What was your list? Well, <laughs> it's funny because uh, you know I was in the first class in St. Flannan's that actually had computers as a class. No Very first kidding. class. I mean, so I'm 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 old enough that I I saw computers coming into my school. You know, it's hard for. <laughs> People nowadays imagine that, but right. um, so I, anyway, uh, so I was interested in computers always, but my career guidance 
counselor at the time was like, oh, you're an outdoor person. You'd love to do something outdoor. So my first three things were civil engineering, I, uh, civil engineering in Galway, Limerick, uh, you know, a few, uh, and, then my, and then my fourth thing was like uh, computer science. Okay. <laughs> in Limerick and, but in Ireland, if you get your first thing, that's what you get. You can't pick between the 10 items you put up there. You get your first thing. And it's that's what like you get. a matching system, like the, the match for residents in the doctor program, medical program. Yeah. So, okay. So I, I got civil engineering in Galway. Okay. And so that's what I did. I went to Galway and my sister was going to Galway at the time. And I would say I just went fantastic experience there. But Galway, Galway City, if you've not been there, I recommend to anybody go for a few days. It's, you know, it's one of the most cultural cities in all of Europe. I mean, I think Edinburgh and Galway are probably considered like in the top mm-hmm. from a cultural perspective. But um, so I went to college in Galway and I did civil engineering. Okay, so you're studying civil engineering by day, but what about <laughs> music and hurling? What happens with them when you're in college? So I played, um, I played uh, hurling with uh, UCG pretty much for the whole time I was there. Mm-hmm. And I and played handball. University College Galway, which now is NUI Galway, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. it's the National University of Ireland, Galway. Right. You know, it's right. college, uh, all the government funded colleges. So they're mm-hmm. they're kind of all affiliated to each other. But um, so so that's where I went. Now, I would say school and, and uh, civil engineering and sports during the day, but like at nighttime, Galway, outside of County Clare, it's one of the best places for Irish music, music as well. music, right. Yeah, Sharon Shannon, all those guys played music in Galway. Mm-hmm. You know, Jackie Daly, great band Lunasa. I think right. the first time I saw them before they were Lunas, I saw them in Galway. And we, we, you know, I mean, it was just immersed immerse in the culture. And, and during my college years, I got uh, connected with some friends. Some of them had never played Irish music, but they played guitars or, you know, played other things and never played. Irish. So I got them, you know, we got together, we formed a, a little band. <laughs> so I played a lot of music in Galway. I had a lot of late nights playing music in Galway. <laughs> uh-huh. So that's when music starts uh, coming to the fore as well. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I would say <laughs> that's when I truly kind of found myself immersed in, in, in music, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I would say the only thing I, I kind of regretted, like, was I wasn't very good at languages. So Galway is very much connected with the Gaeltacht. I don't know if you saw the movie The Guard, but mm-hmm. uh, Spittle and parts of Galway, they only speak Irish. So there's lots of places in Galway where being fluent in Irish is a fantastic thing. So that was probably the only thing I would say. I, I wish I was better at Irish. Your but, uncle um, Frank didn't uh, <laughs> put that on you. My uncle Frank. Um, he tried, but. <laughs> but he would teach it, you know, and all, all of his kids. I mean, my cousin Tola or whatever is fluent in Irish. I mean, like my uncle Frank was fluent in Irish. My, my brother can speak a little bit. My sister probably. She's a school teacher, so she can speak a little bit of it. But um for some reason, like I really wasn't very good at languages. It's funny the connection between music and languages. Just uh, my uncle Frank used to teach with standard bar and staff notation. You would see in all the music books mm-hmm. when he, when he was teaching students who weren't good at languages, they couldn't learn music. Music uh, was a language. It was a similar kind of uh, yeah. that required the similar kind of mental yeah. thing. Yeah. So by the time I was going to school with him, he had switched over to ABCs and, he, and they, you know, related the notes that way. And nobody had any other obstacles with it. So I would say I kind of grew up. I was never strong in English or Irish, but I was very strong in math and other things like the technical things. But um, Irish and English were my worst two uh, subjects in school, but I survived. <laughs> but good thing he had that insight or else you might not have had access to music. Yeah. If he insisted on the um, the other way of teaching, you it yeah. might not have opened up for you. So, yeah, so even, even right now, I learn, I learn music primarily by ear. You know, mm-hmm. somebody plays a tune and I learn it and two or three times around the tune and mm-hmm. playing part of it. And then the next time we play it at a session, I'll know it. You know, it's just everyone's different, though. And that was... Uh, Mm-hmm. That was my connection. So you're at college in Galway. Do you sneak in some computer stuff or, or not really at that time? Not kind of. I mean, it was part of the, you know, the classes and all those kind of things. But um, I was in the early years of computers. So, I mean, the computers themselves were not fantastic. They were mm-hmm. getting getting better. 
like as I went through college. So the college would have had some computers and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, mostly, you know, yeah, it was all textbooks and, you know, written stuff. So not as much computers, but I always had an interest. Mm-hmm. So as I was going through college, there was a national competition and it was called Information Age Town. So like 95, 94, 95, sometime around there, maybe 96. But um, Innes, the big town about 10 miles from where I grew up, won that competition. Uh-huh. As part of the competition, there was a grant where everybody who lived within a certain radius of Innes, like five miles, all got a computer. It was given to them. No kidding. Yeah. And uh, my sister at the time was uh, just starting in the Kalashta, which is like the girls' school at the time like I was in an all-boys school but the Kalasha mm-hmm. was an all-girls school she was a teacher there and she was teaching computers so she actually got involved in helping the community like teaching the community how to use computers so I had a connection with computers through my sister and like through Innes so um, I was definitely connected with computers but at the time they were like so slow and you know you really couldn't do a ton with them you know <laughs> right. to write up word documents and mm-hmm. spreadsheets those kind of things like the early days of Windows hmm. So what are you thinking that you're going to do at this point when you get out of school? Like, what's your thoughts? And when do you come to the U.S.? I would say um, I wasn't the most fantastic student in school. I, I was good up to the leaving cert, but then I got to college. I mean, I definitely enjoyed college so much. I did five years instead of four. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was like, you know, I really enjoyed it that much. <laughs> mm-hmm. I need to come back for next year. But I suppose again, at the time, I, I thought I would be a civil engineer. I did like it. I mean, I did a lot of uh, stuff on wastewater treatment and that kind of stuff. So I had an interest in it. But um, um, I met my wife, uh, Nikki. She was, went to John Carroll University here. She exchange grew up in program. She was exchanging. Exchange okay. So, um, so she spent, you know, the full year, full school year there. And I met her at the end of her first semester, you know, on Christmas time. So I met her and... Uh, you know, uh, me being a U.S. citizen and all those kind of things, I suppose, right. you know, I, can, I always thought, saw myself coming to America at some point. You know, my cousin, I had a lot of cousins in America. My, my cousins would come to Ireland all the time. So I kind of I always had a passion and wanted to come to America. I was dating Nikki at the end of college. And, um, you know, we, we decided we'd come over to America for a summer and see how it went without, without any uh, deeper plans than that. <laughs> and was she from Cleveland, Patrick? Or I'm uh, not Cleveland, really. Yeah. I she probably from Akron or Yeah, so Akron. Yeah, she was connected mm-hmm. down with that burning club in, in Akron. Yeah, so she kind of grew up uh, playing a little bit of music. When I met her, she had early in her, her music background for she had learned from Gordon Schaefer and she'd taken some lessons from Francis Quinn, part of the Irish Music Academy in Cleveland back mm-hmm. in the day. Right. And and Gordon Schaefer in my view, is primarily known for playing for dancers. Um, he yeah. played at Fesh's all the time, and uh, uh, his daughter, Teresa, was a musician and a dancer. Yeah. It's a garden. I might be one of the best people I've ever met in my life, but uh, he was in the early days of music, and he, he actually, early in his career, would have played music for the radio. So, you know, when you're listening to the older radio shows and the music was all live. Right, right. So he was a radio musician, and I would say, and he, and he taught music. I think everything he did was music related. Wow. Okay. So Nikki had grown up in an Irish American environment. You said she was part of the Hibernians, yeah. very active there. And I know the Hibernians always sponsored the Feshes in Akron. Yeah. I grew up in Irish dancing. So <laughs> that's my reference point there. What about Irish sports? Was she that part of her repertory as well yeah. in some way shape or form yes yeah, so nikki was very sporting as a kid as well uh she played like you know in the little league when she was 13 she was on the all-star boys team you know so <laughs> she was very sporting when she came she played a lot of soccer so when she came to ireland she was on the, on the ladies um ucg or you know the college uh, ladies football team mm-hmm. she had played a little bit in chicago before i met her she had you know had to spend a summer or two in chicago so played gaelic football there so she had like a connection with the Irish sports as well, as well as the music. Like I said, I, I met her like in our early days on the fiddle, you know, so so she joined in. Uh, my band was actually playing in the um, cafeteria of the college. We were playing for Kaylee for Amnesty International at the time. And Nikki came up and like asked if she could join in. So there was eight of us in the band. So we, we had her to sit in with us. My uncle Frank always played for the Kayleys. So 
we were playing for Kaylee at the college, so it was kind of fun. Uh huh. <laughs> so we technically met through music, but she also played Gaelic football. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you decide to follow her back to the U.S. as it, as it were, yeah. right? And uh, land where? When? Where do you uh, set yourself down when you get to the U.S.? I was actually offered a job in civil engineering by a fantastic uh, guy called Cayman Jones. He was um, he was uh, in charge of handball for County Clare. He also was a partner at a civil engineering company, and he offered me a job pretty much to stay in Ireland. Like, don't don't go to America. Stay here. I'll give you a job. Play handball. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we, we decided to come to America for summer. That's really was legitimately the plan. And uh, so we, we originally stayed with uh, my, my wife's sister, Julie, for a few months, you know, when we got over here first. And then, you know, we each got jobs uh, up in, in computers. So I never worked a day as a civil engineer. I worked in computers pretty much instantly when I came to America. Uh, so, but she did, she did too. Nikki, Nikki was an English major, but she knew computers. So she worked in computers as well. But we, you know, we bought a car, you know, we found our way and uh, the summer became a year and we got, you know, and a lifetime (laughs) three kids later (laughs) yeah i I mean technically i've lived in america longer than i've ever lived in ireland so it's funny to think you know Mm -hmm. but uh Mm -hmm. i moved here in 1998 we had about a a year and a half where one of my good friends from claire phelan collins moved over and lived with me for a while so we played uh played music pretty quickly after coming over uh, Nikki was, I, I, as I told you, her mom, uh, Loretta, was big into the Hibernian Club and learning Irish uh, language at the club. And uh, through her Irish classes, some musicians were in the, in the Irish class and we met up with them and we formed a band called Leah Fall. And uh, so, you know, right after coming, we started playing with Leah Fall and then we formed uh, the band called Pitch to Pete. All right. But Pitch to Pete is still around, just different members, you know, over the years. But anyway, so it's kind of funny how, how it all worked. But it came out uh, uh, mostly in the Akron area, but worked in Cleveland primarily. Mm-hmm. So music was uh, easier to fall into right away in terms of uh, sort of getting yourself established and connected. Yeah, I would say music was our first connection because we played very quickly. I would have met the you know Brendan Carr and Francis and and like all the musicians in Cleveland. Pretty much within like a month of coming over here. We began to meet people. Mm-hmm. You know, there were like the Irish festivals in Cargo Falls. We met people there. We started playing, like I said, in bands. So it's kind of like music was the first connection. Soon after I came over, I started playing Gaelic football with St. Pat's. You know, um, mm-hmm. I played Gaelic football, but there was no hurling. There's no hurling. Mm-hmm. Hurling had, there had been hurling earlier, um, but it yeah. had sort of dried up, if you will. I don't know, withered away. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, great Al O'Leary, still hurling with us down in Akron. But uh, Al, and back in the 50s, actually had a hurling team. Right. And actually, it's funny because Cleveland had a, a few other um, Dysart OD residents, uh, some of the Finucans and stuff from Dysart. Like, my dad grew up with some of the guys. That they actually lived, uh, Pat Hayes, a few other people lived in Cleveland. And I think they all played in the, um, in the 50s, a hurling team. Right. But and, uh, I don't know what year disbanded. I think they were like they're called the Kickums. Right. You know, they played uh, they would play in Chicago, those kind of things. But mm-hmm. that was in the fifties. So I think it died out. Yeah, so there, so there was no hurling after that for a while. So I mean, how did it come about that you were able to start a hurling <laughs> club? Well, I mean, I, I could take partial credit for it because I got married. So my myself and Nikki got married, right? Okay. And what year is this? Two thousand and two. Okay. 2002, we got married. Our wedding was in, in, in Akron. The Porter Sharks were my wedding band. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did you play with them that day? No, we, we <laughs> did join in for a few tunes, but, uh, uh-huh. but they were. The, and then uh, Mark Owens and, and Jimmy Sheehan were our, our DJs at the time. Okay. Uh, they were doing uh, like an Irish music uh, r- radio show from John Carroll that they would broadcast. So they were uh, the DJs at our wedding. Also, so my, GAA interested. GA Absolutely, um, yeah. involved, yes. At that time, I don't think, uh, you know, Mark was involved at all, but uh, okay. it was like in his early days when he was still a student at John Carroll. He, okay. he was a foreign exchange student in the opposite direction. Right. So kind of long story short, my dad was, was over, uh, my brother, my uncles, myself, uh, Nikki had played like a little bit of hurdle. So the day after our wedding, uh, we actually had a picnic 
we pretty much had four days of you know of a, of a party but the, on the fourth, <laughs> yeah on the fourth day we had a picnic and uh patrick taylor a fantastic guitar player musician in akron we knew him through the music and, and he was at picnic and he saw us playing hurling and uh, loved it just fell in love with the sport i mean he, he's uh, his people were from cork and claire and different parts but had never seen it before and loved it and we showed him how to do it. and his his son Patrick Taylor Jr., who's still playing with me in hurling, was there that day. So at the end of the day, we gave them the eight sticks that I had because I could get more. You know, I was mm-hmm. I was back in North Ireland all the time. So I gave him the sticks and the balls and he went down to the Hibernian Club and met up with a, a guy called Seamus White. And they said, we want to start, start a hurling team. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of magical after that. I mean, they formed a team. Up till about two years ago, I was only ever a player. I never really was involved with the running of the club. But, um, you know, I, I would come to the games and, and some of the practices. Uh, not enough of the practices. You know, at the time, I, I would always get in trouble for not being at all the practices. I've kind of like Alan Iverson in practice, you know. But, um, <laughs> but uh, the, the team formed after my wedding. I'm trying to find out the exact date of when they affiliated with the GAA. But I remember at the time, my dad was like, he never heard of a team just forming, uh-huh. you know, because grew up where like this is going on since hurling began, you know, the, most of the clubs he played with. They had a structure. There was a pre-existing structure that you yeah. just fit into. But here you yeah. had to start from scratch. Yeah. Started from scratch. And uh, I have a really deep connection with it because of that. So my brother-in-law, Denny, kind of says my dad's like Moses of hurling. Like, you know, we uh, <laughs> he kind of inspired uh because he, he loved, he was so passionate and is passionate about hurling. So, yeah, so he he kind of, um, a few years later, they came over, my mom and dad came over and we were down in West Virginia. My wife's uh, family, her dad kind of had a West Virginia connection. So we go down for the family reunion. And uh, one of Nikki's cousins through, through marriage, I suppose, Melissa Agner was there with her husband, Mark Agner. And uh, we were playing hurling again down in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And Mark saw it for the first time ever. We gave him a stick. He joined Akron and was pretty much one of the um, the leaders for the club for nearly 10 years. I mean, Mark, you know, was one of the top referees in the U.S. We found him in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Him. So it's kind of funny. I mean. Um, so you're like you the, the Custy family is like the uh, Johnny Appleseed <laughs> of hurling in kind the you know, <laughs> middle uh, Atlantic but, states here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's many in the club, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Keith Nod has kind of been carrying a torch, um, and uh, many in the club, like mm-hmm. Luan. I mean, there's many in the club uh, that have taken it and helped grow it. You know, a lot of times you're kind of out in a bar, you see a group of sporting guys in their 20s or whatever, you tell them about the sport and ask them to come out. And uh, this year we're trying to do a lot of that. We want to grow it again. Mm-hmm. But the, the Cleveland team, Damon and, uh, and the Cleveland team, kind of came out of the Akron team. Mm-hmm. You know, so Damon was more on the Cleveland side. And, you know, so Damon started the team maybe about a year and a half, two years ago in Cleveland. So the hurling uh, as a sport is growing. It's fantastic, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, this year, Cleveland is, is trying to form a camogie team. We're trying to consider an Akron camogie team as well. And that's we a, a version of the sport for women, right? Yeah, for women. Uh, I mean, for some reason in Ireland, they don't really have co-ed sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, very traditional like mm-hmm. that so the girls have their it's called camogie and the men play hurling but the GAA is really trying to get more girls involved in the sport so uh if, if you've any uh any they daughters have have some sport, options for them if they're going to yeah. get more involved right <laughs> yeah and uh, it's a fantastic like you get immersed in the culture usually it's kind of affiliated with one of the Irish community you know the Irish clubs whether it's in the west side Irish American club or or down in the Akron Hibernian Club. But um, anybody who's played lacrosse can very quickly pick up hurling. If you've played baseball, you can pick up hurling. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the guys who started in Akron were in their mid to late 30s when they found it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nine out of 10 of them would say, I wish I knew about this when I was like, you know, 15 or 16. You know, I wish they'd found it earlier. That's what they, they typically say. So this year, we're going to try to do a lot of recruiting at, you know, Akron University or Kent State. Oh my goodness! Um, wow. Yes. Yeah, so how up. do you find people to play against? First of all, you're probably just playing against each other, right? And well, just for practice. Mm-hmm. So Daily Games formed like in 1887. Uh, Michael Cusack, who's a Clare man, by the way, 
founded the GAA. But so the Gaelic Games is a completely amateur organization, but it's, it's all over the world now. In Asia, you get it. In Australia, you get it. Pretty much anywhere that the Irish people have immigrated to, you'll, you'll find Irish sports. So there's a division in the, in the US, the USGAA, and uh, there's divisions. So we're part of the Midwest division. There's teams in Pittsburgh. There's teams in, in Rochester. The hurling is still relatively new. So there's maybe uh, Cleveland, obviously, now. So there's four teams in our division. We have a league between June and August where we play each other a few times, and then there's a Midwest Finals. And then there's a Nationals. Go to the Nationals sometimes. It goes back and forth between the West Coast and East Coast. This past year was in Boston. So there is an organization structure to it. But between the games this year, we're, we're hoping to do a lot of maybe every second week playing up in Cleveland. Uh, you know, have it like they come down to act when we go up there. But we would like to play a lot more games this year. Yeah, I think um, finding people to play uh, with and, and the travel are challenges that kind of uh, led to the eventual disbanding of the Cleveland team back in the 60s and early 70s. And as people age out and have family responsibilities, etc., the traveling becomes quite difficult. And you have to, as you say, keep recruiting those younger people who can do the traveling and uh, keep it going. So do you still play on the team, Patrick, or are you involved in teaching or what's happening with your involvement right now? Okay. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm still playing. I'm going to be 47 this year. So it's like, uh, but in Ireland, I would have been retired since I was 30 or 33. Mm-hmm. That's typically you play. Uh, so you play senior level, which is the top level for your club. And then when you're kind of retire, can't run with the young guys anymore. You typically like, you just retire and then you kind of teach your kids the sport. That's the typical flow in Ireland. But over here, it is the most amazing thing. So at the lower levels of hurling in America, which is a junior D and junior C, while it's competitive, it's also very social, right? So we, you know, we get along with Pittsburgh, we get along with Cleveland, we get along with the Rochester teams. I would say about three years ago now at this point, you know, Mark, mm-hmm. who had kind of been running the team, he had been so so much involved and so busy with it. He kind of needed to take a step back for for himself and his wife, and you know, because so, he was very immersed. So I kind of talked to some of the guys, and they're like, "We need you to be more involved, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Otherwise, the club might disappear." So I kind of started getting more involved with the running of the club. So last year I was on the board as vice chair, and this year I'm the chairman of the Akron Hurling team for the adult and the youth teams. So I'm kind of I went from really no involvement in the running of the club to being basically uh, involved. Doing it all. <laughs> not quite at all. I mean, we have a great board. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, last year with COVID, it was very difficult oh. getting the teams together. We didn't even know if we were going to have a season. So it was kind of difficult, but we kind of, you know, we helped grow the club a little bit again. We got more structure around. And then this year, we've already started practicing. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're going to try to grow it again. Fantastic board again this year. We met last night and uh, we've been meeting and kind of form plans. And how about you know? your kids? Uh, you have three sons and yeah. are, they, are you bringing them in to all this or? I'm trying. I'm trying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nowadays there are so many opportunities for young kids. I mean, my yeah. boys are in the Boy Scouts. They're all uh, into music. They all played, you know, all learned fiddle. They all played a little bit on piano. My older guy plays uh, jazz guitar. So he's with uh, Hudson uh, Jazz. So he plays, they have a big concert coming up in uh, in Hudson on uh, January 28th for Hudson Jazz. My son, Kieran, is playing drums. My son, Patrick, plays trumpet with a marching band. So they're all busy with activities. Yeah. You know, well, I would like them to play more and be more involved. I mean, they know how to hit the ball. They know how to play, mm-hmm. but they're not as, um, it's kind of one, one of the things they didn't grow up with it, you know, I mean. Right. So that's the difference. It was just natural um, to be part of it. And maybe you didn't even have to be the best athlete to just learn and be part of it. So they play a little bit, they, you know, but we don't really have enough kids right now to have a team. We did grow the youth program in, in Akron last year. We added about maybe 10 or 12 kids mm-hmm. and we're going to try to grow it again. So we're hoping next year we might have enough kids to start to have more competitive games. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can have join with Cleveland to have like, you know, go and play a league against them, maybe seven aside kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I'm hoping like once we have more structure at the youth program, as far as games, it's more exciting for kids, you know. So true, uh, true. How many, how many um, people are in the field in hurling? So in our, in Ireland, in Ireland, it's fifteen aside, but I'm not quite sure. I think because uh, a lot of times you don't have full regulation sized pitches mm-hmm. uh, for hurling in in the U.S. They play thirteen aside in the U.S. Oh, okay. But it's a big team. It's a lot of people you have to have together, and you. Need equipment, the hurling stick. Need equipment. Did you bring your hurling stick with you when you moved from Ireland to the U.S.? I did, actually. I uh-huh. did. And, uh, but, yeah, and I like, I mean, there are certain sticks I really like. Uh, there's a great hurling maker in County Clare called uh, Michael Flannery. He's on Six Mile Bridge. And uh, the Torpy hurleys actually come from Six Mile Bridge in County Clare as well. They're primarily used, probably the most popular stick used in the U.S., pretty much. But a lot of clubs get them over, import them. But, um I brought some sticks in there. And every time I would go to Ireland, I would bring back sticks with me. And then obviously once the club formed, I would bring back, you know, maybe 20 sticks at a time. Yeah. Uh, depending. That was um, another impediment to um, playing hurling in the U.S. in the early days, um, finding and having enough sticks to play. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, now, I mean, in more recent years, at least in my lifetime, the ash boar beetle became a problem, even on our farm in Ireland. We'd have these fantastic old ash trees that might be 50 years old. Within about two or three years, they died out. Oh, um, my goodness. So it's getting harder and harder to get like um, good ash for hurling sticks. Uh, you see a lot more uh, synthetic sticks now. Coltec is a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually use Coltec myself. If I'm not, you know, in a game, a lot of times I'll use a Coltec because the sticks don't dry out. And the, the winters in America are very dry, so it's hard to maintain sticks, wooden sticks. So, yeah, the synthetic sticks, though, are common. Uh, you see new ones, you know, appear in the market every so often, but uh, they're not all. <laughs> Never evil. thought of that. Okay. <laughs> but meanwhile, we forgot to ask before we um, wrap up here, your employment. <laughs> you you get you find jobs in the computer industry and that's where you stay tell us a little bit about yeah. what you do now okay so uh you know when i came to america first i really hadn't any experience that i could say i had in mm-hmm. computers even though i helped my sister do a lot of the stuff you know officially that she was doing in ennis with the information h town so i had the experience and the knowledge but i never had any work experience doing it on paper so i kind of my, my first Resume was very much driven based on my sister's experience. But my first job, you know, I worked at the Department of Defense up in Cleveland, uh, their, their help desk. And um, and then I, I went from there. I was there maybe six months and I moved to another company. Myself and my wife each worked in computers from the day we came to America, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And we just, you know, we, we each kind of kept graduating, you know, from the low level help desk to kind of a high level help desk. And when uh, my second son was born, you know, it was kind of a decision point. Like, you know, so Nikki, uh, my wife stopped working for, you know, we decided like she would stay at home with the kids for a while. So I needed to kind of step up my game a little bit. So uh, I kind of started uh, learning about Cisco, Cisco networking. There's a fantastic program at Tri-C in Cleveland where they, uh, they'll they teach you the basics of networking and, and, you know, things like that. And you can get a certification. You can get a really good job from that. So I got my different certifications and got work in Cisco networking about uh, maybe 14, 15 years, maybe 16 years ago at this point. You know, and then I've, I've stayed uh, in that domain since. I've been, uh, you know, I, I was with a, a customer that used Cisco. Then I joined a, a partner that sold Cisco. And then I, I, I spent six years actually working for Cisco up till uh, five months ago. And uh, this fantastic platform we're on today, Zoom, I'm, I'm, that's where I work today. So. Good timing. Good timing there, yeah. Patrick. Yeah, <laughs> Just I at know. the time it's that like, we're all using it most. Yeah. I'm always kind of looking over the horizon, like my background here, like, you know, the horizon, like looking out at, you know, at America over there across the ocean. But I'm always right. kind of looking at what the next technology and, and stuff that's coming. You know, I, I tried to, about eight years ago, I tried to do my own thing with augmented reality and I was partnered with a company out of the UK. And we, you know, we tried, we talked to the 
Historical Society in Cleveland and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Science Center. I, I, but nobody wanted to be first. Nobody wanted to do it first. Huh, Patrick? Yeah. Well, I did not know that. You're yes, out of your time, yeah. but maybe we're maybe we're approaching the moment where we actually need you now again. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that before I worked for Cisco for about six, eight months, and then I joined Cisco. It was I still have a connection with the uh, with the augmented reality uh, company. Uh, Cleveland and one of the guys I play hurling with works with a great company called Alley 360 and they do augmented reality. So I'm kind of uh, tinkering around with some projects with them as well. You know, okay. All um, right. You might, you might see some augmented reality, uh, you know, out, out of me at some point. But uh, Okay. All right. So in the meantime, in the meantime, yeah. we can hear you with the Porter Sharks because your, your band that played at your wedding, you joined and are, are an integral part of now. Yeah. We can, watch you play uh, hurling out and about in either Akron or Cleveland this summer. Uh, hopefully we will be out and about this summer. Oh, and, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, we like we are. Use your services when we uh, join the Zoom platform. So um, you're everywhere, Patrick. <laughs> Listen, I'm, you know, I'm delighted to be, uh, it's, it, you know, it's one of these things I, I think some people look, you know, including my wife at times, she's like, what why are you doing so much you know like, like the hurling like the music you know it's, it's she plays a lot too but like i've kind of the last two or three years i've really gotten immersed when you kind of get involved with the running of a club you get so busy but um i mean i think being away from ireland like you kind of start feeling a connection more with ireland you know mm -hmm. you want to be by doing all these things well connected, yeah you know? and you know um having people who grew up with it are necessary to sort of keep things going here in the U.S. If you don't have that infusion, periodic infusion from people who grew up with it, I think it really is hard to, to sort of keep it and sustain it. So thanks for being part of that, Patrick, and yeah, helping delighted. to breathe some life back into hurling in Cleveland and being part of our musical scene. I know not only the Porter Sharks, but I know with the Hibernians in Akron, you've been involved in sponsoring things with lots of music and lots of musicians in the area. And uh, maybe we'll talk about things like that another time. But um, yep. thanks so much for telling us about your story and, and how you came to Cleveland. And we're, we're glad you're here <laughs> in Northeast Ohio. <laughs> Delighted to be here. And it's, uh, you know, I, I just think it's, a, it's fantastic what the Irish community is doing over here. I mean, up in Cleveland, you guys have so much good stuff going on at the West Side and the East Side Irish American Club. You know, I I've, I I love this area, and I really felt you know, I got connected in here now. Well, and, you're uh, a, a deep part of it, right? Thank you, Patrick, for coming to me today, Margaret. That's uh, you know very, very nice talking to you. It sure was. Thanks for joining Finding Home, the Irish American Archive Society's podcast series about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. Find more on the IAAS website at irisharchives.org. The Irish American Archives Society is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to research, present, and preserve information about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. Thank you for listening.